Welcome to this episode of Innovation Matters, a podcast organized by the Netherlands Innovation Network. This episode we will talk about intellectual property rights and protection in China. My name is David Beckers and I'm an innovation officer at the Dutch Consulate in Shanghai. Formally, intellectual property rights, or IPR, have been acknowledged and protected in China since the 1980s. In 2001, China became a member of the World Trade Organization, and the premise of this was that China had to address some of the international concerns that still existed about its IPR system. In spite of this, some concerns remain to this day. President Trump has repeatedly called out China for theft of intellectual property, And in various reports on doing business in China, such as the 2016 China Business Climate Survey report of the American Chamber of Commerce, IPR is still seen as a challenge to doing business. At the same time, there are signs that IPR is not the biggest issue at hand anymore. After all, Chinese companies are also getting more and more innovative and also require protection. Since 2019, China has actually filed the most patents in the world via the World Intellectual Property Rights Patent Cooperation Treaty taking over the US. And the German Chamber of Commerce did a survey on the biggest challenges for foreign companies active in China, and they found out that intellectual property rights protection was a challenge for 30% of respondents. So this made it only the sixth concern, and for example, a lot less than human resources, which was a concern to 70% of all respondents. To discuss intellectual property rights in China, I'll be speaking with Reinhard van Malestein. Uh, He is a senior counsel at HFG Lawyers here in Shanghai, And he's been a lawyer both in China and in the Netherlands after studying law in Utrecht and in Beijing. Um, He's fluent in Chinese and legal Chinese. And next to his position at HFG, he's also vice chair at the European Chamber Intellectual Property Working Group and uh, a secretary of the China team at Marx. So, um, Reinoud, good morning. Hi, David. Thanks for being here. Um, You arrived in China in 2007. I can imagine a lot has changed uh, since that time. Um, Can you share a little bit about what's keeping you here? Well, when I arrived in China in 2007, to be honest, uh, most of the people I knew, they said it was kind of crazy moving to China because normally after you graduate law school, you either uh, start becoming a lawyer or you go into a different position or you go do some further studying in, in the States or in England, which is very... Uh, normal uh, for people who graduate quite early. When I made the decision to go to China, people were, what is happening? China is an undeveloped nation and there's many problems they had culturally and through the news with regard to, uh, to China. But my thinking at the time was very simple. It was, okay, I'm a Dutch, I'm going to be a Dutch lawyer. I want to help companies with intellectual prop- property protection in uh, the world. China is a big source of counterfeits. We don't have the knowledge to do much against that here in Europe because you have to um, get to the source of uh, the problem. So in order to do that, my thinking was I need to be a lawyer, but then in China. So obviously not being able to speak Chinese, not having a Chinese legal background. My thinking was I moved to China. I study Chinese. 
I study Chinese law, okay. then go back to the Netherlands, uh, become a Dutch lawyer, and then eventually move back to China to uh, to do that. And I've been here for um, for for many years now, and that is exactly what I'm doing: helping companies protect their rights in China, which is completely possible, unlike what you read in uh, in most of the international newspapers. And that is what's keeping me here, and also through uh, my various other positions uh, for right holders organizations, for the European uh, Chamber, for Marx, yeah. um, for the China IPRs. We help us also advocacy and making the environment even better for European companies here in China. Yeah, okay, clear. Thanks. So, um, yeah, you already touched upon it a little bit, um, but uh, yeah, maybe we can go into depth a little bit more on uh, sort of the, the main differences between the legal system in, in China and, for example, in the Netherlands, but I would say in, in Europe and, and maybe the US in a broader sense, uh, to start out with. Um, could you elaborate on that uh, a little bit more? Well, some of the main differences are if you really look at the spirit of the law, eh, what we have in uh, the Netherlands, the trias politica, separation of powers, uh, Montesquieu, that system obviously in China works in a different way where uh, the party has a lot more to say. At the same time, the system here have works well for companies. If you really look at how you want to protect your rights and how you want to get your rights, but you have to be very smart about it and how to use it. And unfortunately, with uh, European companies, with Dutch companies, often they use their own Dutch and European legal thinking in China. And as a result of that, uh, they make mistakes and they can't get their um, uh, their rights protected here. So that is one of the major difference, I would say, between the laws. On intellectual property laws, the laws are, it's, it's hard to say if they're similar or different. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also like at certain spots, a lot of differences. I'd say uh, at the moment, one of the biggest challenges in, in Chinese law, and this is more of a recent phenomenon, is that you see in a lot of Chinese laws, uh, words like national security, national interests coming um, back into the law mm. and without uh, the definition of that. Yeah. And what we see in the Netherlands and in, with the legal system is this, there's just much more interpretation about uh, what what does a law mean also, like you have um, this different legal thinking principles. Eh? You have the law, um, you you have the courts, you have like the the legal doctrine eh? by mm -hmm. yeah, by academics, etc. And that together puts forward how the legal system works. Now, fun funnily enough, both the Dutch system and the China system are uh, civil law systems that are not complete civil law systems. In the sense that the difference between common law and civil law is that common law looks at how law um, further develops itself through precedent. So yeah. earlier, um, earlier court cases. Mm -hmm. And 
The Netherlands is actually a hybrid system in which court cases are actually very important at the same time as the local laws because it interprets the law and it sets precedents uh, based upon what, what the court said that you can, as a lawyer, use in court. In China, this is also the case. So mm. it's, it's when you look at differences and uh, similarities, there are differences, yeah. there are similarities, yeah. uh, but I'd say the biggest um, differences between the two systems is yeah. the difference between the separation of powers. Yeah. Uh, also, the to, to name a, a big difference, also the uh, the fault of uh, President Xi is in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be something that in, in the Netherlands would be quite unimaginable to have yeah. the fault of Mark Rutte be yeah. put yeah. In, in the Grondwet. Uh, so there, there are big differences, but what I believe is very important to focus on for now mm-hmm. is, is more how can you take advantage yeah. Yeah. of the law? Because China does have, especially with intellectual property rights system, a workable system. Yeah, I think that's very interesting what you already mentioned. So, um, um, yeah, the fact that you can still uh, find uh, protection in China if you uh, do it in, in the right way, if you prepare yourself well. Because, um, uh, I mean, we also, of course, at the consulate, we uh, deal a lot with uh, companies coming in uh, to China for the first time. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of conceptions about uh, the legal system in China and, of course, a lot of uh, uh, worries about uh, being able to protect yourself well. Um, so perhaps this, uh, there are some misconceptions there uh, um, that exist with the foreign companies coming into China. Um, yeah, can you uh, give some more examples of uh, maybe some clients you've had or some common misconceptions you see um, or uh, ways in which foreign companies coming into China are not prepared well or things they, you know, they forget? Well, th- there's many things there, yes, okay. but it's, yeah. this is a very good topic to, yeah. to explore a little bit more yeah. about. Yeah. Like, obviously, <laughs> what you don't know might seem exotic. What you don't know uh, might seem scary at the same time. Mm. If I'm talking about um, um, exotic, for example, people often think that Guanxi relationships is very important in China. Mm. And it's true. It is very important in China. But it's especially important for Chinese people. Because as a foreigner, by nature, you do not really benefit from the complicated Chinese system of Guanxi. So... If people say in China, uh, let's not do a contract because we rely on Guanxi and that's our Chinese culture, which might sound, sound very exotic for a Dutch or European businessman, and they might be encouraged to do that. Mind you, that's a huge trap because no one in China is bound by these Guanxi uh, forms of uh, cooperation to foreigners. No. So that is, that is, that is one big thing that often goes wrong. Then the second thing that goes often wrong is, um, the contract itself. You can write the most amazing contract. However, in contracts, what is obviously very important is the clause that says which law is applicable. Is that going to be Dutch law? Is that going to be Swiss law? Is that going to be Chinese law? And that clause will have a major inf- effect on your um, on your dealings with any Chinese business partner. Because let's assume the Chinese company is uh, Huawei, probably having assets all over the world. In case your contract goes sour, you can have Dutch law applicable already in the contract. You go to the court in The Hague. Um, Huawei uh, maybe has done something uh, not correct, so you can like seize their 
assets because they would have assets uh, probably in the Netherlands. And then you can take the money from that in case like the judge in The Hague gives you a win. Mm. However, if you're dealing with most other Chinese companies that are not the Chinese huge companies with assets all over the world, mm. it is very different. Because if you would have a contract that says Dutch law applicable, you go to the court in The Hague yeah, with, with, the, with the Chinese party. But guess what? The Chinese party is not coming. Yeah. So what you get in Dutch is called a verstekvonnis, eh, in which the court will render its judgments anyways, based upon the facts and the evidence they have at hand. You might win the case and then try to get that judgment enforced in China. Mm. Chances of you succeeding are very, very, very low. Yeah, yeah. So my story is if a Chinese company has assets in, for example, the Netherlands, yes, Dutch law is a good way to go forward if they don't and you really want to win your case and you want to get your money or compensation or whatever needs to be either uh, chinese law or some arbitration maybe in hong kong or yeah. maybe in uh, in in singapore but otherwise you will not be able to um, yeah. to to get what you're entitled to yeah and, and i mean given that you're um, um for example let's imagine that we have to um, you know, build a case or at least build a contract in uh, in China. Um, what are some other things that you can take in mind? And especially, if, I would say for for IPR, so for example, copyright or uh, patents. Um, what would you say are important things that companies need to think about? This is a great question again, David. And to be honest with you, what mm -hmm. is very important are non non disclosure agreements, mm -hmm. and because if yeah. you talk about doing business with someone. Entrepreneurs are so eager to tell a Chinese company what makes them better than any other European or American or whatever company. And companies don't realize that anything they have that gives them a competitive edge are actually regarded as trade secrets. Mm. And a trade secret might eventually also be something that could end up being a patent. Mm. If you, for example, you're thinking about like our situation now with COVID. And you think about the situation with all these vaccine makers. If you're an entrepreneur and you think you have discovered the way to make a new vaccine and you have not applied for a patent yet for that and you're discussing with a potential Chinese company to to produce, let's say, this vaccine for you and you're sharing a formula, then you'll be giving away for free uh, that trade secret. And once you disclose a trade secret, it cannot be protected anymore as a patent so it's very important yeah. for entrepreneurs to have these non-disclosure agreements signed before you discuss anything relevant with chinese parties and if the chinese party then said like oh but we don't work like that because guanxi relationships is very important know that you're walking into a trap because chinese very much honor contracts there's so many litigation cases everywhere in china between Chinese companies. Only a small part is between Chinese companies and foreign companies. So it's an illusion to think that Chinese companies are peaceful and they don't litigate amongst themselves. Yeah, very clear. Yeah, um, so maybe a little bit more about that because um, I guess this would also be the case partly in um, in other countries, right? So uh, patents, this patent system works around, around the world. Is there anything uh, particular about Chinese patent system uh, or about the trade law uh, system in China that you need to be wary of in China? Most important is registration of okay. patents, registration of trademarks. 
and registration of design patents. Mm. So in the European system, we have design rights, we have patent rights, and we have uh, trademark rights next to copyright. But copyright is not registrable. So those three rights in Europe are like the, the big ones. Mm. Now in China, they put the design rights system under the patent law, mm. which creates this huge problem for most European companies. I think more than 99% of all European companies that have this current problem and that are probably not aware that they have this current problem, which is the moment in Europe you write an article about your design or you take a picture of the design of your product. And let's say you invited a new microphone for your uh, for your Zoom meetings that works better than other microphones, uh, but that has a really cool new edge design. And you show that in a magazine or you go on a Zoom meeting having that new design with some potential um, investors or with a new station or whatever. By showing it without having applied for protection for that microphone, mm-hmm. In China first, you lose the right to ever get the design patent protection in China. And that is different because in the EU, you get automatic protection for years when the moment you publicize your design. Yeah. And so that is one of those major differences between um, the two systems. Okay, yeah, very clear. And then to get um, all these intellectual property rights, another big misconception that um, Dutch and European people have is that they think that their European trademarks and their European or like local European could be Dutch, could be German patent is going to help them in China. It isn't. Only if you have national registrations in China that can help. Mm. And also with regard to copyright, I said earlier, with in, in, in Europe, actually all around the world, copyright exists the moment you create a work. So you don't have to think about JK Rowling and Harry Potter to have copyright. Every one of us has copyright. So if I grab my phone and I take uh, a photo or I take a selfie, I have the copyright on that. Hmm. That also means that a lot of companies, they have copyright on their websites, they have copyright on their product packaging, they have uh, copyright on their product catalog, all that text, all those photos is all, if they made, if these companies made it themselves, automatically protected by copyright in accordance with the Berne Convention and very old convention that most countries in the world, except for North Korea and some other countries signed. So very handy. However, China does have a copyright registration system. Some people say that that goes against the Berne Convention. Some people say it's actually very handy. I say it is quite handy. Because what it does is, if you register your copyright, it turns around the burden of proof. Mm. So if you have this copyright certificate in China, the other party all of a sudden has to prove that you're not the copyright holder. Yeah, obviously, the burden of proof. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, China also recognizes the Berne Convention and says, okay, you have the copyright because you created it, but show me first that you Mm. created it. Mm. And that can be very difficult to do here in China to prove that. 
because if you get proof from the Netherlands, you need to get it legalized, notarized for China. Chinese church might not take it or Alibaba or other e-commerce platforms for notice and takedowns might not take it. So it's better to just register these rights for China. Yeah. Okay. Clear. Maybe uh, just a few minutes that we can fill with, with, with this. So is there anything special that we can say about contracts uh, when it comes to uh, companies that have a lot of uh, IPR? Is there anything... Uh, any advice you would give on that specifically in China? Or? Massive advice. <laughs> um, for for me, what I'm doing a lot. Eh, we we started this this uh, this talk about huge differences mm. between uh, the Chinese legal system and the Dutch legal system. Mm. One of the things I mentioned was that I see national interests. Um, coming back as one of the points that is um, uh, imported to China and imported to Chinese law um, together with Chinese um, security, national yeah. security. Now, actually, there's a trade war still going on between the USA and China. And just before that trade war started, China actually put a new pilot law into uh, into effect which basically s- says that if you put your um, ip into china and it could also be like a dutch company putting it in to their chinese company which is 100 percent dutch owned but in accordance with chinese law that's still a chinese company <laughs> then if you ever want to put that ip back to let's say the netherlands or anywhere in the world Based upon Chinese national interest or national security, uh, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce might block that transfer from happening. Yeah, yeah. So you you could be talking about a company like Philips. They have an R and D lab here in uh, in Shanghai. Something they invent here um, in the R and D lab here might not be automatically transferable to. Uh, uh, other countries is that, uh, is that what correct yeah. or it or it could be like the company itself in um, in the Netherlands yeah. uh, okay. developing IP and I want to especially focus on the on yeah. on, on the latter thing the latter thing because okay. if they develop it let's say in um, in, in in Europe or anywhere yeah. else in the yeah. world then transfer it to China yeah, yeah, yeah. by the IP becoming Chinese, there yeah. might be problems later by getting it back. So what you need then for companies to do, and that's something I've been very busy with for a lot of like high tech clients, especially mm-hmm. and other multinationals is to make the right licensing contracts in accordance with Chinese law to effectively operate the IP in China, mm-hmm. but not making the IP Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can use it here. You can do a lot of things with it. But you will not be blocked the moment an American company says, hey, I want to um, buy your IP or get also a license on your IP. You cannot be blocked at that moment uh, by by uh, Mofcom in this case, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce. Yes. So that is that is something that is, is important uh, to do. And obviously, there's also nothing wrong with bringing it here. But for me, what is important in all the cases that I do is to inform clients, mm. listen, these are the risks and this is a business decision. I can give you all the pros and cons. At the end of the day, how do you want your IP? Do you want it yeah. very safe or do you want it with some risk? And obviously, most lawyers yeah. are risk at first. Yeah. So 
it's my preferred strategy would would it to be risk adverse and keep it um, freely tradable because we as the Dutch we're a a nation that believes in free trade and not much uh, restrictions so I think or not I think I strongly believe that this is something where contracts wise um, Dutch companies have a lot of work to do Mm. and can take a lot of um, uh, profits from in the upcoming years if they do it well yeah okay well thanks great that we could talk a little bit about some of the you know the nitty-gritty or at least some of the details of uh, uh, that companies can run into when they uh, when they enter the chinese market um maybe for the time we have left i think it would be good to also talk a little bit about um what's going on in terms of uh, changes in the system here so you yourself are an IP expert at the China IPR help desk of the European Commission uh, already for a number of years. Um, so this help desk supports uh, European uh, small and medium sized enterprises with questions they have on IPR. Uh, they also provide information. Um, and next to this, you're also the vice chair for the European Chamber of Commerce, uh, the intellectual property working group there. Um, and uh, you also work as a secretary of the China team of Marks. Um, so all of this is, uh, yeah, I think can describe it a little bit as a uh, lobby work uh, with with the Ch- uh, Chinese government. Um, so can you share a little bit about what kind of topics are being flagged in this discussion with uh, with the Chinese government and how that is progressing? So so with the European Chamber, for example, mm-hmm. uh, every year we launch our position paper in which we write also on intellectual property rights. Yeah all the points of interest of uh, the members of the European Chamber, uh, which are like the big and smaller European companies active here uh, in China. Now, that position paper is divided into various sections. So we have a, a patent section, we have a trademark section, we have a trade secret section, mm. we have a copyright um, uh, section, and we have also an e-commerce section. And then within all those areas, we line out the big problems that, that we as European rights holders and companies believe are challenges for our businesses. So e-commerce, for example, is a very hot topic anywhere in the world, especially during these COVID times, because more and more things will be without being somewhere uh, physically. Mm. So on e-commerce, for example, we're really trying currently also to make social media platforms where you see a lot of counterfeits happening uh, to be mentioned as official e-commerce platforms because their so way which, of reach... Which platforms would you uh, in China, which platforms would those be? Is that... Uh... Oh, this this is a sensitive topic. Okay. So let, let's say, <laughs> let's say, uh, let's say uh, social media platforms just yeah. in, uh, in, in, in general. In general. Uh, let's say all social media f- platforms, they would benefit from calling themselves uh, telecommunication services that yes, create yes. a platform to talk privately. Yeah. But then again, we see a lot of fake products being offered on those websites. And if you're mm. not an e-commerce platform in accordance with Chinese e-commerce law, mm. then you don't really have the liability uh, to stop infringements from happening on your uh, on your platform. Yes. So that's why uh, we are trying to, to get these social media platforms also effectively put forward um, as an um, 
e-commerce uh, platform. On, on the trademark side, for example, um, we see that a lot of uh, procedures are uh, being delayed at, uh, mm. at the moment. Well, delayed is not, not a good, good word. We see that a lot of procedures that are happening in the, in the trademark industry because China has speeded up the examination of trademarks. Um, which, which obviously is a good thing, but at the same time, they did not speed up the times for invalidations, oppositions of trademark, mm. etc. So if you are a Dutch company, you want to register a trademark. Oftentimes, the, because the, the country is so big, there's so many Chinese companies, there are already a lot of trademark registered that might be very similar or the same to your trademark. So yeah. in order to register your trademark, you first need to get rid of those trademarks. So, and at the same time, China is a first to file country, which means whoever registers the trademark first yeah. gets it. So you have the problem that you want to register for your trademark as soon as possible, but you also have the problem that in order for the trademark to be granted yeah. registration, you need to get rid of those other trademarks in the way. Yeah. Now, the time for registration is very quick in China these days, seven, yeah, yeah. seven to eight months, but the time to get rid of those other trademarks that are yeah. in the way yeah. takes more than a year or longer. And then you have to also take into account uh, the, the time for those uh, trademarks to go through appeals, etc., etc. So long story short, mm. if there's no mechanism of pausing those uh, that that's trademark application until it's been de dealt with with all the other trademarks in the way mm -hmm. companies are just spending a lot of like money yeah. and time to yeah. get something which is which is very very frustrating so but i can imagine that's also for chinese companies themselves that that is a problem uh, 100 yes. and and i would say that at the, at the european chamber and also um, at marks we really try to come up with solutions for problems in the law that we see for European companies, but that's effectively what you just also said yeah. is a burden for Chinese companies and also a burden for the Chinese system as a whole. So we're just trying to make it better for yeah. all parties yeah. involved. And you have seen improvement in this over the last uh, few years that you've been involved in this? Well, it's actually really good that we're talking about, uh, yeah. you know, creating such a staying mechanism, pausing mechanism, mm. uh, because this is, this is a new problem that I put on the map uh, just earlier yeah. uh, this year. And it's good to talk about these nitty gritty problems because mind you, for uh, China only started having an IP system that can be taken yeah. a little bit serious since 2001. Before that, it, it, it was not really in, in, in the eyes of the Western world an okay system. And then if you look at patent law, only since 2008, mm. uh, the patent law started becoming workable. Yeah. And so you're talking only 12 years ago because before that the patent law was looking into novelty so the principle of newness yeah. only in china which yeah. meaning that companies here would apply for patents that were already registered by uh, siemens or all other countries around the world and then get that patent for china because china looked only at like whether this was new to china yes or no yeah, yeah. so China has come from very, very far. Yeah. And now in 2021, there's a new patent law, um, which will make the system uh, better mm. for, um, for, for, uh, for Dutch and European uh, companies. And we're getting more into the nitty gritty yeah. phase, except maybe for, for two things that, that, uh, 
that uh, that I'd like to mention. Mm-hmm. One we already talked about, yeah. which is national security and national interest, which is a topic that really needs to be defined. Yeah. And the other thing is the um, uh, anti-monopoly law, what mm-hmm. we call competition law in, um, in, in Europe. Normally, intellectual property rights are an exception to the uh, anti-monopoly law, the competition law, in the sense that you get a monopoly. And we all played this kids, this uh, board game Monopoly as kids, yeah. and most people really like to have a monopoly on the street. That's also how intellectual property works. You get a monopoly because for patents, you'd be giving like some knowledge to society. Yeah. You get that limited protection for maximum 20 years. So in 20 years time, everyone can use that knowledge and, and build on uh, for that, but we see recently that um, in laws we see a lot of things pointing towards the um, the Chinese competition law having more to say about whether or not you abuse your IPR rights, and and that okay. might be a problem for a lot of companies in the future. So that is something that I would advise a lot of, uh, especially multinationals, to start looking into. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Okay, and the first one, uh, so the national security, just to come back on it and be clear. So th- the main problem is in the fact that it's that it's not cl- clear what the limits are to these these kind of clauses, right? That is the the issue. Correct. Yeah. I mean, okay. if 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 the, if nothing uh, tells us what national security yes, yeah, and national interest is, then it could be anything. Yeah. So it could and be uh, I don't know something related to uh, advert- as soon as you target Chinese people with an advertisement, it could maybe already be seen as. Uh, uh, it, 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 it might be. The problem yeah. is that nobody knows. Yeah. And uh, the thing about most European laws and Dutch laws is that it mm. is very, very clear. And um, if if something is, is not clear, then sometimes you can get that yeah. um, extra interpretation. And in China, you also can get that extra interpretation. And that is something we really are at doing some advocacy work for now is to get that explanation mm. and to really okay. see yeah. what's... Uh, uh, what's happening and obviously China is still a country when we're talking about intellectual property rights where there's a lot of uh, fake goods yep. China is also the production plant of the world most things are made in China so it makes sense that they also are the source of the problem and that would mean for European companies Dutch companies to start attacking the problem at the source because as long as you're uh, factories, as long as the factories in China are still open, goods are flooded all over the world that can infringe upon your rights. And then yeah. you have to attack that in each and every country, which takes a lot of time, costs tremendous amounts of money, but most important of all, it doesn't solve the problem. So, so really companies should start looking into uh, getting evidence of infringement in China. And when we're talking about differences, in the system, a big difference between the two systems, the Dutch legal system and the Chinese legal system, is that evidence in China is only evidence mm. if it notarized, if it is yeah. notarized by a notary public in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means that if a factory is selling fake goods yeah. uh, on e-commerce platforms here, yeah. as a lawyer, I, uh, I, I would make a, uh, a sample purchase, get that uh, notarized, and then we have the proof yeah. that. There, if it's a fake good that we that that company actually sold us a, a fake good, and then you can go into negotiations, go to court, and then you win your case. And the compensation you get in these cases are higher than the lo- uh, the lawyer costs. So that's definitely yeah, yeah. worth your yeah. time. Uh, but putting that into the Dutch perspective, 
as a Dutch lawyer, if I'm practicing from Amsterdam or Rotterdam or wherever, I can just take a screenshot myself from that e-commerce platform and use it as evidence in the courts in the Netherlands. Mm. I don't have to notarize anything mm. because the judge will believe that because I'm a qualified lawyer and a, and, and mm. a practicing lawyer that I can actually, uh, that I will actually not provide him or her with fake evidence. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a huge okay. difference. Okay, clear. Okay, well, maybe uh, to end off um, uh, the the podcast um can you mention a couple of uh, um, future developments that you see coming that are important to the chinese uh, uh, ipr system so you just mentioned uh, uh, the new patent system are there any others and perhaps you could say a little bit more about the patent uh, system that's coming up okay so with the the patent law we have a, a very very interesting new law coming up in 2021 yeah. which provides a lot of new uh, changes for example the um, when you look at uh, design patents in uh, European design patents, you can protect, let's say, graphical user interface just by taking a screenshot of that mm. graphical user interface. So if I grab my Apple phone and I just show you my background, that would be something that Apple would have registered yeah. in, um, in Europe as a, a graphical user interface. Now in China, under the Current, which is still the old law, such graphical user interface can only be registered as a design patent when it comes together with the product, mm. the iPhone. Now, under the new law, this will change, which is very good, which means that from now on, a graphical user interface can be applied for separately, but also all other partial designs can mm. be applied for separately. It doesn't have to come with a product anymore. Yeah. Huge, huge change the design protection period is going from also from 10 years it will be um, longer towards yeah. 15 years yeah. which is great because that put it into um, the the Hague protocol so that way it's also for international design um, applications that would be very interesting change you see some um, changes also for the for the pharmaceutical world so if you make, for example, um, uh, vaccines, etc., uh, based upon Chinese national emergency uh, situation, the novelty period, and if you yeah. apply for a patent, it has to be new, it has to be inventive, and it needs to be industrially applicable. Those are the requirements for patentability. Now, that novelty requirements means that if you put it on the market or if you tell me about it anywhere without a, um, a written contract to keep it secret and safe, it's yep. out in the public, yep. everyone can use it. Now, they put the national emergency in the law for these kinds yep. of, uh, of patents so that there's an extra period of six months to still apply for it. Also, we see the compensation uh, going up, we, uh, which, which is very good. Um, so the money you get for infringing for infringement of your patents uh, uh, goes up. China introduces also a system of punitive damages. Yep. And so, and that's we see also uh, proposed in. Uh, we also may see that in Chinese civil law, um, which goes into effect soon. We see that also in other law uh, amendments. So China really wants to punish people more for patent infringement because China is actually embracing the idea of intellectual property rights and they truly believe that that will make Chinese companies great 
for um, for the decennia to come. Already worldwide, you see Chinese companies registering yeah. more patents, trademarks, etc. And you see the same thing here in the in the domestic uh, market. So those are some of the changes we see uh, in the in the patent law. At the same time. Also, the national interest, national security provision mm-hmm. is in the patent law. Also, the competition law provision that I mentioned is in the patent law. So, those might be a little bit more worrisome things. Um, China is trying to get rid of uh, bad face trademark registration because there's still this huge problem um, where we see that people are massively registering trademarks of uh, known or yes. lesser known international companies that's also lobbying work we do for the european chamber uh, for example to to try to curb that there was the 2019 trademark law that already goes against that but the law to be honest um, ideally still needs to go further into actually starting to punish people i would say for applying for this trademark because to be honest with you david you see a lot of companies and especially smes who don't really have the money to fight these uh, trademark applications and mind you if you win such uh, a case with the intellectual property agency then the other company might still go into appeal which makes yeah. you uh, more spending more money so um, through my advocacy positions, I really would like to create or argue for a system that if it's clear that some someone knew about your brand and then registers that same uh, brand for their personal gain, then that person uh, or company should be punished. And I think this punitive damages, such a system could really work. Yeah. Um, copyright law, is uh, there was a recent amendment proposed for that so that might come out into 2021 might be postponed a little bit further but that's also something that we might see some changes on soon so on the ip front there's lots of things happening there's lots of supreme people's court opinions further explaining the law so it's a very to be honest very exciting time to work on intellectual property rights here now in uh, china okay well exciting times that's a that's a good way to uh, to finish off Thank you, uh, Reinhard, for uh, for this podcast. And uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me, David. And thanks to you for listening to our podcast. More information on our speakers can be found at our website www.netherlandsinnovation.nl. If you would like to reach us, you can do that by sending us an email at china at netherlandsinnovation.nl. We hope you will tune in again.